0: All right. Thank you, guys. Be seated as you're being seated. Let's take our Bibles and open them once again to the book of James, chapter one. We're picking up where we left off in this series, and we're just going to consider verse uh, twelve uh, this morning. Let it stand alone and speak to us and challenge to us. And as I said last week, and I'll I'll refer to this often as we go to uh, as we go through the book of James, that to to really, uh, if James is going to have any kind of formative effect upon us. And, and this is true of any teaching under which you sit, uh, any sermon that you sit under. You, you have to allow the text uh, to, to challenge you and to stretch you. You have to embrace the tension. Uh, that the text oftentimes creates within us, this tension between uh, the challenge of the text and the life that we are actually living. And so are we going to allow the text to stretch us? And we're going to find that James does this in in a way that that really no other book in scripture really does. The perspective and the framework of James' life, his family's life as an impoverished people uh, in this messianic community, it really stretches us. And if we are going to to grow, and it's true in life, uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, if you're going to grow, uh, you have to embrace discomfort. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. In fact, on a daily basis, you have to seek out, what is it that makes me uncomfortable? If I'm going to grow physically, mentally, spiritually, I have to be uncomfortable. Uh, otherwise we are just digressing in every facet of our lives. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we're going through the book of James because it is in fact a very challenging book and we will find that to be nonetheless true this morning in our passage of scripture here in verse 12. James Poling wrote a book some time ago entitled The Search for America's Faith. And in Poling's book, all of his research, all of the data that he compiled, it, it led him to characterize, or to categorize rather, the American people in a, uh, in, into what he calls almost Christian. Almost Christian. That for most, they will have confession, but there is no conviction. They will have profession, verbal profession but there will be no practice there will be there will be a verbal acknowledgement of christian principle and christian truth but no visible connection with a local body of of faith and in his data and what he has compiled, his research reveals what we have already known, that ours is a very syncretic kind of nation, a syncretic kind of people, a, a hodgepodge, if you will, of, of various thoughts and belief systems. And that even when it comes to the Christian faith, that even for those who confess and profess a faith in Christ Jesus, that for the most part, people have a cafeteria approach to their faith. That is, they cherry-pick, like a smorgasbord, they they cherry-pick from a buffet the items that they like while neglecting the other parts that aren't quite as tasteful, the parts that would conflict with the life that we have already chosen for ourselves. And so what James does is James really cuts through, and this, this, is a, this, this is a timely issue. Polling didn't discover something new that's just 21st century America alone. This, this, this is an indictment against humanity in all time. And so James already recognizes that, that tendency, but what James does in a very concise and a very succinct manner He makes a simple statement, three clauses here in verse 12 alone, three clauses that we're going to break down, but in one sentence, he simplifies our understanding, what is to be our understanding of the life of faith, the framework by which we we live our faith and our commitment to Christ. He does it in a way that is non-negotiable. He does it in a way that, that is very clear. And so none of us are going to leave here today wondering what is the life of faith about. He makes it simple and sometimes it takes that, especially in matters of faith. I remember reading years ago about a company that was starting a pension plan for their employees and there was one particular employee, Sam, that was being especially difficult on not wanting to participate in the pension plan. Well, the, the organization, the company that was underwriting this pension plan required 100% participation of all employees or they wouldn't cover it. And so the other employees were pleading with Sam to sign the paperwork that's necessary to start this pension plan by which all of us will, will benefit. And this guy was just a naysayer. No, it'll never work, we'll never get a payback on that, I'm not gonna be a part of that. He was just shooting it down at every, at every turn finally as the deadline was approaching this had been going on months and months trying to get Sam to sign this paperwork the president of the company called him in he said Sam right here on my desk is the paperwork for our pension program for all employees it requires 100% participation You either sign it or you're fired Sam reached over there picked up the pen signed it and walked out started to walk out the president of the company said hey Sam wait a minute he said, I'm curious, for months and months, your coworkers, your managers, have been pleading with you to sign this necessary documentation. And yet I come in, you come in here, when I call you in, and I tell you either sign it or you're fired, what, what's the difference? He said, uh, well, no one ever explained it as clearly as you did. <laughs> well, that's what James is doing. He is explaining clearly the life of faith what is to be our understanding of what it is to be the people of god and he begins with a promise he says here in that first clause in verse 12 james chapter 1 bless or blessed is a man it's a state of existence for the people of god it's the it's it's in you've seen it in the in the beatitudes that listing of all the blessed statements And really, these blessed statements are are found throughout the entirety of of Scripture. In the New Testament, the word blessed is the word makarios. And so whenever you see these these statements, these blessed statements like James has utilized here in in chapter 1 and and verse 12, it's what's referred to as, as a makarism. A makarism, makarios. It's a word that means fortunate, blessed, happy, fulfilled purposed in life it's a state of existence by which God by which God through his power enables his people to face life to experience life to live life in a way that is purposed in a way that is fulfilled regardless of the circumstances and we know the circumstances we know that James is writing from a perspective on life. He's a part of a Messianic Jewish community that is characterized by abject poverty. That's that's all he's known all of his life. We go back to the Magnificat, Mary's Magnificat, back in Luke chapter 2. You read especially the Beatitudes of Jesus, his brother. You see that there is this, this impoverished perspective on life. And those individuals, like James, like Mary, like Jesus, who made up this Anaheim community, these were a people who were impoverished, who had no leverage, no power whatsoever, and yet they were still committed and devoted to the kingdom of God. Their abject poverty had no impact at all upon their faithfulness in the demands of faith. You see, for James, whenever he uses this word blessed, to really appreciate what James is writing about, when he uses this word blessed as the man. For James, he connects that word blessed all the way back to verse 2. It's a, it's a word blessed that goes in connection with the word joy back in, in verse 2, where he says, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. And again in verse 9 when he talks about we as an impoverished people, that, that audience to whom he is writing, this Jewish messianic impoverished community of believers. When he tells them to glory or to boast in their, in their high position, that these as a lowly people, you're in a position of glory and boasting. And as we saw in the previous weeks, when he talks about this perspective of faith that allows me to have joy, that allows me to boast even in my adversity, he's saying that for us as a people of God, that what separates us, that, that what marks us in, our, in the effectiveness of our witness as a people of God, that we see through through eyes of faith, we see through our circumstances, and for these, it's circumstances that would never change in their lifetime. This is no Pollyanna story that things are gonna get better, you just hang in there. They're not, not for the Anna Weem. And so he was writing to a people for whom things are not going to get better. But James makes it clear that through this, you can have joy, you can boast, because you have the confidence You can see through these trials and you have the confidence of knowing that God is accomplishing something formative within you that could not be done otherwise. That it's these very circumstances that has availed you to the providential purposes of God that God is doing something formative in your life that could not have otherwise been accomplished. Now, when he uses that that word blessed, is connected also to joy, to boasting, and to glory. But the word blessed also has an eschatological, if you will, an eschatological view. Now, when I use that word eschatological, eschatology is the study of last things. When you hear the word eschaton, that's last days. And so when James is using the word blessedness, he's taking it from just, from just a present tense perspective that, yes, I know in this that God is doing something formative in my life. But now he's offering this eschatological view as well, that knowing that in the end, I can look ahead to the end that even though my circumstances may not change, I can look ahead to the providential purposes of God being accomplished, his justice being fulfilled, and my faith being Vindicated That something formative is being done through this. Now that promise that James is alluding to in our existence as a people who are blessed regardless of circumstances, this is something that shapes our worldview. This is something that gives us confidence in life, regardless of our, of our circumstance. It's a promise that sustains us and keeps us pushing forward beyond the moment to what God has in store. In the book entitled Finish Strong, author Richard Capen tells the story of Naval, one of his many stories, but in this one particular story, he tells tells of Naval aviator, Harry Jenkins. Harry Jenkins was shot down, Captain Jenkins was shot down over North Vietnam, was in a Vietnamese prison camp for seven years. But he had a very unique perspective. And what kept him going and what encouraged and inspired others was a perspective regarding circumstances everything that happened everything that that he experienced captain jenkins identified it and called it a good sign when he was dragged out of his cell and tortured It's a good sign he said it's a good sign that I'm getting closer to not being tortured again when American bombers were carpet bombing North Vietnam when his prison camp was being shaken he said it's a good sign that American forces are ramping up and that maybe the end is near when another Christmas came and went. He said, that's a good sign that I'm getting closer to being back with my family again. And so the promise of God, James would say, this promise of God that we are a blessed people, that you are a people for whom God has a plan and a purpose, that is a good sign for you, even in the midst of your trials and circumstances. But as there always is, there's more to this story. And in the life of faith, it's not just about promises. Because what James says now is that with that promise, there is a premise. There is a premise that holds true if the promise is to be reality. Blessed is a man, here it is, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. And so the blessed state of existence to which James has alluded already in that first clause, that blessed state of existence is based upon a premise state of blessedness becomes a reality for me and for you only as I endure only as I persevere only as I not I do not allow myself to be shaken and and to be diverted from the circumstances and the hardships and and the trials of life you say well Bobby wait a minute I thought salvation was unconditional oh we've we've maligned some words Yes, the love of God is unconditional. The love of God is conditional for anyone and everyone. But for those who would be the people of God, there are conditions by by which we live our lives. There's expectations of how we should live as the people of God. And yes, we know that that Jesus is the fulfillment as we saw in Romans. We know that Jesus is is the fulfillment of all those promises of of the Abrahamic covenant. That it was fulfilled in, in Christ Jesus. We are a covenant people, yes. We do not work for our salvation. It is the free gift of God, but for those that would be the people of God, there are expected conditions. It's as old as Scripture itself. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomic Code, or if you will, the Code of Deuteronomy. it's, It's simply stated throughout Scripture, obey and you are blessed. Seeking to be obedient, seeking to live obediently to the teachings and the precepts of of God's word. Obey and you're blessed, disobey, you're cursed. It's a cursed existence. It's an existence that is either cursed or or it is an existence that is blessed. Yes, God the greater, that's the whole idea of covenant. This idea of what is called in theological studies, it's called a suzerainty covenant, a suzerainty type of covenant is where the, the greater vassal gives himself to the lesser vassal. And in this case, God, the greater vassal, has given himself to the lesser vassal, we, the, we humanity. But with covenant, there's also Torah. There's laws, there's principles, there's things that guide us for we, us who would be the people of God. And listen, don't think I'm holding forth some kind of salvation by works here. Not at all, but but a salvation that is real, a salvation that is biblical, that is one that that has brought about a new birth, that has brought about a conversion, that has brought about a transformation. It is characterized by by a life that pursues obedience and and it will endure in that task. Jesus himself said that that it's those who endure to the end that shall be saved. It is those that have not been knocked off course by, by the trials and the seasons of, of life. And there are, things that, there are things that happen in life that would seek to knock you off the journey of walking by faith and not by sight. Look at COVID what we've come through. Unprecedented for us in our lifetime to go through an event like COVID and what has been experienced in the Western church is those that, were, those that were marginal in their faith, marginal in attendance before COVID, over those two years, disappeared altogether, knocked off track because of the trials and the circumstances of life. You say, well, Bobby, I thought... I thought we, we believed in once saved, always saved. That's not what I'm talking about. We've taken a statement like that, once saved, always saved, and, and we, we, have, we have maligned a doctrine that, 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 was, that was very good. We, there, there is a doctrine, that statement, once saved, always saved, that, that emerged from a very real and substantial biblical doctrine that is best referred to and understood as the perseverance of the saints. And the most telling hallmark characteristic of a true believer is that they endure to the end. It's not confession. It's not joining the church. It's enduring to the end. Jesus said those who endure to the end shall be saved. Not those who made some decision at vacation Bible school as a six-year-old. It has no impact upon their life whatsoever. And what we've done with that statement, once saved, always saved, is we have lowered the bar on our understanding of salvation. What it means is if you are really saved, you will be saved. You will be saved forever. If you were really saved. Now, that, that depends upon how you're, you're defining being saved. Conversion, transformation, new birth, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Being saved is not confession. Being saved is not joining the church. Being saved is not being baptized. Those are things that Christians do. Doing those things doesn't make you a Christian. It's the perseverance of the saints. It is enduring and not being knocked off track by the trials and the circumstances of life. You know what perseverance really is? Perseverance is the hard work you do after you've done all the hard work that made you tired. That's what perseverance is. Perseverance is all the work you do after you're exhausted from the work that you have already done. And again, hear me, I'm not holding forth a salvation by works. But a faith that is real, a faith that is genuine, is a faith that will work itself out. It is a faith that makes itself manifest in the life of the believer. In fact, as we'll see next chapter in chapter two in verse 18, James will say, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. A salvation that is real is a faith that works. It manifests itself. It's something that has been transformational. It's like being born again, Jesus would say in John chapter 3. And so what James is doing here in verse 12, he's not not breaking new, he's he's not breaking new ground. He is just continuing a theme that goes all the way back to the ancient scriptures, even in Deuteronomy, that there is a premise for the promises of God. That our lives will look different. That we will seek and and it is our passion to live lives that reflect the teachings of his word. Some of you will remember Back in 1992, Hurricane Andrew devastated Southern Florida, the Bahamas, I think it did like uh, some staggering number, some $37 billion, those were 1992 dollars, some $37 billion in damage. But if you ever saw the news reports, and you can pull it up now on YouTube, go back and look, the, the devastation is apocalyptic. Communities just leveled to the ground rubble. But I'll never forget one story that one news team was doing there amongst all this devastation, this apocalyptic rubble pile. There was one house that stood on the beach and they were interviewing the owner of of that condominium. And they asked him, what do you think happened? Why do you think that your house remains standing while everyone else's is level. He said, I really don't know. He said, all I did was build my house according to the Florida building codes. He said, when, when the building code said to use two by six trusses, I used two by six trusses. And from what we see, not everyone built to code. I was told by the state of Florida, that if I would build my house according to the code, that your house will stand. And it did. That's the premise of Scripture. That if you build your house according to code, you build your life according to the principles and the precepts and the pursuits, of God's will and God's purposes made known in his word. Listen, when the storm comes, your life will stand. Yours will be a blessed existence, even in the devastation that is around you. And then here's the price. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial For once he has been approved, and this is the testing out of our faith. The trials of life will test your faith to see if it is genuine or not. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James seemed to be holding out an incentive clause, kind of like professional athletes you know, every professional athlete today has incentive clauses that are built into their, their contracts. It's, it's, it's standards of performance. If you reach, you reach this standard of performance, you'll you get this lump sum. You, you reach this, and, you, and you'll get this kind of bonus. It's interesting that even in the Word of God, we find this, we find this language of incentive, They don't think it shallow, even our our Lord would look past, uh, even our Lord who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It was the anticipation of more of what it was to come, what the eye could not see, it was the anticipation of what was out there before him that enabled him to endure the cross even with joy as his brother James would write. Paul certainly borrowed from this concept. When encouraging the the church at at Corinth in describing the life of faith, he said in in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. So they do it to obtain a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. That's the victor's crown to which which James is alluding. Oak, laurel leaves, something that uh, evergreen that represented eternal life. And so Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth, listen, you you hang in there and you fight. You've got got something worth living for. I mean, if an athlete is willing to make this kind of sacrifice to to do this much work, to put this many hours into this for something that is temporal in nature for a crown, then how much more? We as the people of God should be willing to give and to sacrifice and to labor for our Lord, knowing that our reward is something that is eternal in nature. Paul didn't just encourage others that way. It was also something that I think motivated him in his own life, this idea of a prize at the end. As he was sitting in a Roman prison facing the possibility of his own death, Paul would write to his young understudy. And he would say this to Timothy For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. He's talking about death. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course, I've kept the faith, I've endured, I've persevered. Shipwrecks did knock me off course, stoning, beatings didn't knock me off course in my faith journey. That thorn in the flesh that the Lord wouldn't remove. Just telling me his grace was sufficient. disappointed as I might have been in in that answer, in that response, when I think I could have done so much more. You know what? I never got off course. I stayed faithful. I Finished the course. I kept the faith. In the future, there is reserved for me the crown, the prize, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing and what James is saying and what Paul was saying and what Paul lived out in his own life is that this approach and this endurance if the promise is going to be the reality of your life this blessed existence it's going to be based upon this premise of enduring and for that to happen you, you cannot let your eyes be blinded by the temporal By the present tense, it's a mindset of faith and perspective that sees into the eternal, that has no hope in this present world and keeps its eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's a view of life in an existence and an existence that realizes there is more to come. What's happening to you now, I promise you there's more to come. What you're struggling with right now, I promise you there's more to come. You endure, you'll experience it. When Roman soldiers Used to wander inside those tunnels that are part of, that are found on the Rock of Gibraltar. Those Roman soldiers in that ancient day, believing that, that the world was flat, that the world ended just a few miles to the west, Roman soldiers would chisel inside those those tunnels on those walls the Latin phrase, ne plus ultra. Nothing more beyond. After those ancient days, subsequent travelers and tourists who also would walk through those tunnels, they would notice that that Latin phrase and, and what they would do in response, knowing that the world was in fact round, they would chisel out that negative nay so that what remained was plus ultra more beyond. That's the prize of which James writes. Regardless of your circumstances, there is more beyond. And so you and I, we leave here. As messengers of hope of witnesses of hope we bear testimony by our reaction to the world that there is more beyond and we conduct ourselves accordingly let's pray together father how grateful we are for the promise of more beyond But not just more beyond, Lord, but the fact that we can live a blessed existence even now. Even in our trials, even in our overwhelming circumstances. That we as your people can live in a state of blessedness. We can choose to live in a state of joy and glory. When we see our world through eyes of faith the conviction and the belief that even in in these times you are accompl- accomplishing something formative and sub- substantive something in our lives that that is fashioning us to be the kind of disciples and people you would have us to be father we pray each one of us for this perspective and this mindset that our presence might be one of hope in a world that is filled with despair. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.